It's called the black man is God. It's called the black man is God. Next hour. This is for the children. You know what I'm saying? I got this idea from myself, of course. But this is for the children. I got this prediction. This will be the biggest upset in all of fighting history. The easiest fight of my life. You think your cousin can with me? You really do? Anybody on your watch? Anybody in my family? Young, he's handsome. They know it. He's a poet, a prophet. Gold ain't have a net. Who would have dreamed from karaoke to cassette? I met Obi as an OG in the taxi. Nah, I was legends, recipes, pops, a legend, uh-huh. Mike Corey and Sean Jordan was the essence of the young chorus where we grew from. Seemed like a second, now they less important to the new son. I guess today weighs more than yesterday. It's morbid to suggest that they will come for them too. When it's a brother younger than you, who humble and who? Used to coach him, now he coached and blew up. Who knew? He caught you on a rough night, you were stumbling through. Now he telling you to get yours, get yours. All of you reporters made it hard on them. For those of you who are unaware, the Mark Draft, Mark Hicks, comes on to the Hip Hop Sports Report Podcast tells us what he thinks each team should do with their first round pick ahead of the NFL draft. We only go through the first 10 picks, y'all. We don't have all day. We can't do all 32 teams, but we get the first 10 knocked out. You know what I mean? We want to make sure that you guys know what these teams ought to be doing with their picks because these teams are ran by morons, okay? We see it every year. We see it all the time. These teams get in there. We got guys that have never done it before and, and even guys that are experienced drafters and they butcher it every single time, right? Mark Hicks knows how to do it, so we bring him on to the Hip Hop Sports Report podcast to talk about it. It's your man Jay Hicks is back. Uh, I'm back again with the podcast. Today is Sunday, April 25th of 2021. And of course, the NFL draft is just a few short days upon us taking place this Thursday. And of all places, Mark, it's in our backyard, our hometown, Cleveland, Ohio. The grass is greener, the beer is a little bit colder, and the football usually isn't very good. But now, the Browns are actually good. Pro Football Focus had the Browns rated as the second best roster in the league, and I think I think they're right. The Browns roster is off the chain. The only team that has a better roster on paper from top to bottom, I believe, is Tampa Bay. And so of all the years for the for the draft to come to Cleveland, you know, he, here we are, and and the, the Browns don't have a pick until the end of the first round. But at any rate, Mark, how you doing today? I'm good, cousin. I'm good, cousin. How are you? I'm doing good for the most part, man. I do want to take a quick second to just acknowledge some of the the, the pain that a lot of us have been experiencing uh, in the country, not just with the uh, Derek Chauvin verdict that came down this past week. And, and all the angst around the coronavirus and all that stuff is still continuing. But also, you know, we are a hip-hop podcast also, and we've lost not one, but three voices in hip-hop just this month alone. Uh, this past week, we lost Shock G. Rest in peace, Shock G. Uh, Digital Underground helped put Tupac Shakur on. Uh, had some hits himself, of course, and, and was a really creative cat. And we had Black Rob who uh, we lost last week. Um, I, I played the Woe instrumental on this podcast on numerous occasions. You're going to hear it again today. And uh, and then, of course, the legend himself, DMX, we lost earlier this month, man. It's been a really tragic time for hip-hop. And so I just want to take a quick second to acknowledge that. I don't want to be too melancholy about it because we do have a lot to get to, and, and we're not focusing on that uh, for the purposes of this podcast. But we do have a, a piece out on DMX, so we encourage you guys to check it out at hiphopforthebook.com. Uh, Mark, the first pick of the draft belongs to the Jacksonville Jaguars. We know what they're probably going to do. This pick has been in the bag since forever. But I don't know if you think that Trevor Lawrence is the slam dunk best quarterback or best prospect in this draft. They now have Trent Baalke, formerly from the 49ers, running the show in Jacksonville. And Urban Meyer is now the head coach, believe it or not. So it's looking like it's going to be an Urban Meyer Trevor Lawrence marriage in Jacksonville. Uh, but 
you know, the one in 15 Jags, Mark, if you were in charge of them, what would you do with that first pick? Um, well, I will, I will preface this by saying that uh, Trevor Lawrence has been the slam dunk pick. Basically, uh, they've been talking about this kid for the last three years. So uh, whenever he decided he was going to come out, I, uh, I think it was predestined for him to be the number one pick. So um, I, by, by a slim margin, I will have Jacksonville taking Trevor Lawrence. And the the reason I would take Trevor Lawrence it, over the person that I'm, that I'm thinking for, uh, who in my opinion has just as much talent as he does, I think the biggest difference uh, between the two is the number of starts that he had in college as opposed to the other the other person I'm mentioning. Um, so with, with Trevor Lawrence in particular, he's been, I say he's been involved with the, with, uh, Jacksonville, ever since the college football season ended, he's played in, an, in 36 out of 40 games uh, of college football, which is outstanding. And two of the games that he missed was due to COVID this year. So, um, for those of you who don't know much about Trevor Lawrence, he grew up in Cartersville, uh, Georgia, a northwest suburb of Atlanta, and played football, you know, basically from the, from an uh, early age. And now he's he has all types of records at Clemson, and he was the number one uh, number one recruit out of high school uh, in the state of Georgia, five star quarterback, and he's you know been to the Manning camp, the whole nine yards. So there's a lot of things to his game that I like. Um, the biggest difference between him and the and the person that is that I view second is the number of starts. So the fact that he's, he's played in 36 out of 40 is, is a lot. His experience is great. Um, he's been he's definitely battle-tested. And the thing about it is in seven seasons as a starting quarterback in high school and college, he went 86-4 and four as a starter with his only losses coming in the playoffs. Uh, he has he set uh, the record at Clemson for the most passing yards per game at 315 yards a game and completion percentage at 69.2. So that's what I love. I like about him. I think he's a good kid. I think he's uh, good mentally. I think that's the biggest thing because there's a, the, the big thing that I, I try to look at with quarterbacks, besides all of the you know the in, intangible stuff and the things that are physical, is the balance of IQ versus EQ. Basically, his his, his regular uh, intelligence versus his emotional intelligence. And I think emotionally, I think he is prepared to take that next step and become a leader of a franchise, the CEO, as we like to say, of a franchise. So that's why I would pick him. I think he's been battle-tested. and He's been proven ready uh, right now for the last three years. And I think uh, with a situation in Jacksonville where they're prone to losing, I think with him and a, and a person like Urban Meyer, I think the two of them can actually bring some type of uh, resurgence in in the Jacksonville, Florida area. Okay. So, so answer me this then, Mark. So, okay. And I agree with you about you know the experience that he has. He put up huge numbers in college, of course. He won a national championship as a true freshman quarterback. Destroyed Alabama in that game. But answer me this question, man. Like experience aside, is Trevor Lawrence the best quarterback prospect in this draft? Yes or no? In my opinion, no. So, so why then would you not pick him first with the number one pick? Like, like why, why would you pick Trevor Lawrence with the number one pick, knowing he's not the best prospect? Like, again, if you're running the franchise, you, this is on you. Like, granted, Trevor Lawrence is the type of guy that's not going to get you fired, right? Because everybody assumes right. he's a slam dunk. I've never believed that Trevor Lawrence was the second coming of Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning. John Elway. I never put him in that class or in, in that category no. of prospect. I, this is just me talking personally from what I've seen of him. Gotcha. Not that he does, he's not good. Uh, my good friend Andy Roberts, friend of the podcast, we've had him on before. Uh, he and I had a back and forth on Twitter where he said, you know, I just think that his, his floor is in, incredibly high. And in essence, it's, it's hard to envision a scenario where he fails because he checks so many boxes. And I love his size. I mean, when you look at him, it's kind of the opposite of Johnny Manziel when Manziel was coming out of school, uh, out of Texas A&M. 
when when he looks small on TV in college, and it's like, how much smaller is he going to look at the NFL level? Trevor Lawrence looks right. huge in college, and so he's going to be huge in the NFL. He's going to be six six two forty in the NFL, and he can run. So there's a lot to like about Trevor Lawrence from that regard, and he's he's accurate, and you know. I'm not saying he's not a good prospect. I just don't know. I just have never seen, like, can't-miss football player. And then especially considering the stuff that we're hearing about him potentially not loving football or football might not be – maybe not being the end-all, be-all as it is for other people. Uh, it's just a little weird. You know, we saw him get killed by Ohio State this year, Trevor Lawrence. Or not get killed, but the team got killed. He put up numbers, but his numbers were not indicative of his overall performance against Ohio State this year or last year for that matter. And uh, we also saw Trevor Lawrence get killed by LSU, as I mentioned. Uh, or, excuse me, I mentioned that they killed Alabama when he was a freshman. But Trevor Lawrence got killed by LSU last year, and he looked terrible. So, you know, it's not that he's not capable of having bad games. I'm, I'm rambling. Mark, just set me straight, man. If he's not the best player in the draft, why are you taking him number one? Experience? Experience is definitely uh, big for me, but also – I think you also got to look at it because we talked about this before about systems make quarterbacks. Uh, I think especially with in Trevor Lawrence's situation, if I'm having a team like Jacksonville, it's, you have to be a special type of individual. That's why I brought up um, you know IQ uh, versus EQ. I think they have you have to be strong emotionally to handle a better franchise. A lot of, I mean, you would say, well, why is that, why is that situation necessary? If you're a high draft pick, especially at quarterback, 90% of the time, you're going to, 99% of the time, you're going to go to a terrible team. But in the case, almost in the case, like with, with the Browns and Baker Mayfield, with, with Jacksonville, I mean, they were, you know, two, oh, or two years ago, they were this close to making the Super Bowl. And then in, in within that time frame, uh, over a span of two to three years, they pretty much dismantled the entire roster and they destroyed it. But, and the main reason why, because it wasn't built for long-term success. But I think when you have to do, we have to build a franchise or build a program up for long-term success, it's going to take time, but it's also going to take a lot of emotional ability. And I think of all these quarterbacks that's listed, I think Trevor Lawrence is the best prepared to handle that. Not necessarily about talent, but it's about the emotional aspect of playing football, especially on a terrible for a terrible franchise that you know is rebuilding. I think that's Mark, that also Mark, is very Mark, very frustrating. Mark, I got to push back again because okay. if 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 we're worried about emotional intelligence, this is a guy that you said in the last seven years has lost like four ball games and he's won like ninety of them. So how do we know that he's Correct. emotionally capable of handling going to a bum team? That's a very good point that you make. So, I, mean, I think saying, and, like, and it, it could give you full. It could make you could be full of gold. You know, I agree with you. It could be full of gold. You know, it, it, uh, because you're so used to winning, all of a sudden, you know, the reality is if you're not a be, uh, you're in a bad situation, you know, it could it could weigh on you. It could it could cause some problems. But I also look at it from the standpoint of Urban Meyer being there, too. Because you can say the same thing about him, because he's so driven, everywhere he goes, he wins. That's true. Now he's in a situation where he has zero control over the over the uh, people that's on his roster. And, you know, he doesn't. he's not able just to go and recruit five-star players and bring them to uh, Jacksonville. He has to go through a draft process. He has to battle other, 31 other teams for free agents. And I think that also can play a toll on him. But I think the marriage with the two of them together, I think both of them can can lean on each other to a certain degree because at this point it's gonna be it's gonna be rough before it gets better. And I think with the two of them and I think they're gonna have to have I don't know how Trent Balky is, I don't know how how uh level head of a person he is, but I think both him, the ownership and and the fan base are gonna to have to be patient with this process, it's not going to be something that's going to be built overnight. And and most importantly, Trevor and and for this and for this case, um, uh, Urban Meyer, they both need to be on the same page that this is going to be a process. It's going to be a marathon, not a sprint. Because the the, the first time, first time of adversity, when they get in a three game losing streak, 
they're going to really need to be on the same page in order to get themselves out of this situation. I don't think they ever get to the point where they're 1-31 like the Browns were a couple of years ago, but I really think that in order for them to have success long-term, they're going to have to understand that, you know, it's going to be a process to this winning thing. It's not going to come as easily as it, as it has been the last few years. Well, I, I think I, I, will, I will say this. I believe that Trevor, because he has been this five-star recruit his entire life, he has been in the spotlight the whole time. And he's been the guy, you know, walking into a a top-flight program like Clemson as the guy as a freshman and leading them all the way to a championship. And and the spotlight's been on him ever since, and he hasn't really faltered at all since then. So, I mean, I will say that, that he has risen to the occasion and he has – dealt with success well up to this point. Um, it'll just be interesting to see. And I, and I totally agree with your point about Urban Meyer. He, he turns around any, anything. He, you know, Urban Meyer you know, could turn around blockbuster video if you gave him the opportunity to, I believe. Like, he, can, he, can, he can turn around anything. The guy works miracles. So if you put him with a, with a prospect like Lawrence, and I think it could be good. But I don't know that the Jacksonville fan base is going to be all that patient because they see teams like the Browns go from 1-31 to three years later having the second best roster on paper anyway in football and one game short of an AFC championship appearance. So uh, we'll have to move on, but um, it'll be fascinating to see. Uh, we know Trevor Lawrence is going to Jacksonville. That's not a secret. Uh, it is just a matter of what he's able to do at that point. I guess you could say uh, the draft begins at two, but it really doesn't because I think we kind of know who's going to go second with the New York Jets on the clock. The Jets were two and 14. By the way, I don't think the Jags were as bad as one and 15. I don't think they're as bad as that that record looked. Um, they won. The I first agree game. with you. They won the first game of the season, and then they lost every other game after that for the rest of the year. So I don't think they're that bad. Um, but the Jets are two and fourteen. They come in with a new coach, Robert Sala. They ended up hiring Robert Sala. They fired Adam Gase. Any, any thoughts on the firing of Adam Gase, Mark? Should have been fired three years ago. Actually, <laughs> he should have never been. Should have never been hired. Well, There's very few coaches that I really hate, and he's one of them. I, I can't stand this. Well, what's funny is that they went ahead and they hired a defensive coach now to pair with their new quarterback at number two because they traded Sam Darnold away. He was the pick from the 2018 draft. They moved off of him, traded him to Carolina. and But they're, now their offensive coordinator is Mike LaFleur, who is the younger brother of Matt LaFleur. Uh, Mike LaFleur, uh, I think all he was was, um, I don't even think he had a coordinator job before this. He's really just kind of, I don't want to go as far as say he's living off the last name, but like there's probably somebody more qualified than that guy that they could have had running the show there. I think he was in San Francisco last, and and basically right. he's been attached to Kyle Shanahan's hip for the last several years, and we know Kyle Shanahan is an offensive mind. Well, this guy has been kind of attached to his hip, but then he just rolls in and gets this job as the OC of the Jets. So, um, all that being said, the world seems to believe that Zach Wilson of BYU will be the pick. Mark, if you were running the Jets, what would you do with the selection? I can guarantee you one thing and one thing only. It would never be Zach Wilson uh, from BYU. (laughs) That's my pick. Um, Without question to me, the person I was speaking about before that was narrowly beat out by uh, Trevor Lawrence as the, to me, as the number one pick in this draft will definitely be pick number two if I was in charge of the Jets. And that person is quarterback Justin Fields from Ohio State. Um, I mean, I, I could actually go on for like 30 minutes just talking about Justin Fields and just how how wrongly uh, the nation has been towards this kid. Um, but I'm, I'm going to stifle myself a little bit, but I'm just going to give you a little bit of background on him. Uh, Justin Field is from uh, Kennesaw, Georgia, which is about half an hour from Cartersville, Georgia, where Trevor Lawrence grew up. And the two of them have been battling each other in the state of Georgia for, for years. And... Justin Fields was the number number one um, quarterback, dual threat quarterback coming out of high school. And he was the number number two prospect in uh, in Georgia, and he was the number two prospect nationally behind Trevor Lawrence. 
So this kid and and this kid and Trevor Lawrence has been linked for pretty much the last six to seven years, and in no and under no circumstances, in my opinion, has Justin Fields dropped to the point where they're they're looking at him out, outside the top ten, maybe even possibly getting into like in the in the in the late teens. I mean, just, just that just the the notion of them speaking of these people speaking that way drove me nuts. And I'll go back to a, a particular point where there was a. Uh, Conversation with Dan Orlowski, the the former uh, backup quarterback in the NFL, who I actually like a lot. I like a lot on, on NFL Live, and, and he he says a lot of you know pertinent things about the quarterback position, which I happen to agree with. But he made the notion that he he spoken with some scouts or some personnel over at Ohio State, and he said that he, he heard that Justin Fields was not a, was not necessarily a hard worker; that he was the first, the last one in, and the first one to leave, which. I already knew from that from that standpoint I was bogus, but it got to the point where Kirk Herbstreit, longtime uh, Buckeye quarterback and college football analyst, uh, they got into it to the point where ESPN had to step in and, and break that whole uh, conversation up uh, because it was starting to get very nasty between the two. Um, I just don't know how when a, when a kid has, has has done the things that Justin Fields has done throughout his collegiate career how he is not being mentioned as not only the number two for sure prospect at quarterback, but, I mean, you got, you're getting guys like Zach Wilson and, and, and Matt Jones for crying out loud being better than he is. I, I have a problem with that. The fact that this kid had to have two pro days just to, tip, just to show the 32 teams how good he is. I think that's atrocious. At the end of the day, for me, it's how you. It, it's not necessarily about how you look in shorts and how you throw to your own receivers in a controlled environment. It's about how you play between the lines on Saturdays. Uh, you know, against eleven defenders who's trying to knock your head off. That's what I look at. Yeah, and, and I, I, to me, the tape just doesn't lie. Period. Yeah, I mean, I feel the same way about Fields. I I like Justin Fields better than Trevor Lawrence. Um, I will say that I'm probably biased because he did play at Ohio State, so at least I can cop to that. But uh, but it's not not for nothing. Justin Fields thoroughly outplayed Trevor Lawrence in the Sugar Bowl just a few months ago in January. Like we we all saw that game where right. Fields got blasted in the back with a with a helmet that was used as a harpoon, and uh, and he still got up from that and ended up throwing six touchdowns in that game, I believe and totally yep. embarrassed Clemson on that stage. And, and like I said, um, looked like the far better quarterback on that day anyway. Um, now, the size thing, Fields isn't little. He's about 6'3", I believe, but he's not the behemoth that Trevor Lawrence is. Now, Justin Fields appears to be uh, yet another in a long line of black quarterbacks getting shafted. Um, I mean, like, we can just call that for what it is on this podcast. Uh, we've seen numerous black QBs get raw deals and get passed over. Um, you know, like, in order for a black quarterback, it's not it's not that they don't get picked high. It's not that they don't get picked even as high as number one overall. We saw Kyler Murray get picked number one overall. We've seen yeah. Jameis Winston get picked number one overall. We've seen uh, Michael Vick get picked number one overall. But what's what happens is that Michael Vick was a talent unlike anything anybody had ever seen before at that position. He took a pretty much of a, a also an also ran program in Virginia tech all the way to the national championship and, and was a Heisman finalist. I, he might've been runner up that year to Peter Warwick, I think, or, or Chris Winkie, whoever won that year. Um, and then, and then I'm challenging my memory here. And then we saw Jameis Winston. All he had to do was, go undefeated, win the Heisman Trophy and the National Championship in order to get picked first overall. And then we saw Kyler Murray go to the uh, college football playoff, win the Heisman Trophy. You know what I'm saying? Like, these black quarterbacks have to really go above and beyond to... Cam Newton also. Yeah, Cam Newton's another one. Thank Thank you for pointing that out. Cam Newton, another black quarterback, went number one overall, but here comes Cam Newton going to Auburn, 
wins the Heisman Trophy, wins the national championship, right? So like that's the yep. that's the that's the level that these black quarterbacks have to be at in order to be in conversation for the number one overall pick. And even if you do that, you're not guaranteed that spot because you have guys like Deshaun Watson who didn't win the Heisman, but you know, let his team down on a game-winning drive in a national championship game and won it. He'd been to the national championship game twice, I believe. We have Lamar Correct. Jackson, who was a Heisman Trophy winner. He ends up going with the last pick in the first round. In fact, I actually did some uh, light research and looked at the last five drafts. And what I found was just looking at, like, these this white quarterback prospects that just seem to jump out of nowhere onto the scene. And the latest is Zach Wilson. Now, you can make the same case that Trey Lance is doing that too this year, but Zach Wilson kind of came from nowhere and all of a sudden ascended to the slam dunk number two pick in this year's class. Um, last year, uh, the only black prospect was was uh, Jordan Love that came out. Right. Um, but as I pull up the, the draft from that year, we had Burrow go number one, who he earned it. He deserved it. We had Tua going in the top five, Herbert going in the top ten. And, and then we had Jalen Hurts was a prominent black quarterback um, who had nearly led Alabama to a national championship as a freshman. He dropped into the second round despite being the runner-up for the Heisman Trophy at Oklahoma uh, in his final right. year of college. You go back to 2019, Kyler Murray went number one, as I mentioned. Dwayne Haskins threw 50 touchdowns in the Big Ten at the most prominent school in the Big Ten. He goes 15th, but somehow a guy that went to Duke, Daniel Jones, goes in the top ten over him. You have 2018, you have Lamar, as I mentioned, Heisman Trophy winner as a sophomore. I believe he's like only the second or third guy to ever do that. Correct. Um, you know, tremendous, you know, coming out, tremendous prospect, but yet they're trying to convert him into a receiver. We saw dummies like Bill Polian get on TV and try to say that he needs to switch to receiver or whatever. You know, we, we come on, you know. And so we see Lamar go 32nd in the first round, but we saw somebody like Josh Allen who went to Wyoming kind of right. come out of nowhere and end up going in the top 10. Then we see in 2017, Mitch Trubisky. The Bears traded up to get him. Correct. He only played one season at North Carolina. Not a mm-hmm. football powerhouse, right? You got the wrong sport. If that's what you're going for, power, for North Carolina powerhouse, it ain't football. <laughs> it's definitely not football. It may not be basketball these days you seen better days. Uh, Roy Williams is gone for a reason, you know? He said, I've had enough. Um, but we saw Mitch Trubisky jump over Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. Deshaun yep. Watson, Mr. Do-Everything in college. And Mitch Trubisky leapfrogged him. And then in 2016, we saw Carson Wentz kind of come from an FBS school and rock it all the way up to number two. So... What I'm saying, my point in saying all this is, and again, it's not to say that these teams are still so archaic that they're not drafting black quarterbacks or not drafting them high in the first round. But what I am saying is that many teams are frequently comfortable with selecting an unknown of a white quarterback versus the very, very absolute known of a black quarterback. You have black quarterbacks like Deshaun Watson getting passed over on draft day, and you have white quarterbacks like Daniel Jones shooting up into the top six or whatever, wherever he was drafted, top eight, whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. now we have Zach Wilson. And let me just say this. I saw the tape on Zach Wilson, and I liked it. I'm not going to front. I liked the tape on Zach Wilson. You know what I'm saying? I think that I, I get it. Like I think that his tape really pops, and I think that he's got a lot of talent, and I'm excited to watch him play. In fact, he's I like I like what I saw from him more than Trevor Lawrence. I'm not saying that he's better necessarily, but you know, if I'm looking at quarterbacks that who's you know, when you look at them, you're kind of like, okay, I, I can see how a team could fall in love with that. Yeah, I get it with Zach Wilson, but the guys went to BYU. He didn't play anybody. When he did play somebody, he didn't play well. Any team, he, any team he went against that was any good, his comp- he, uh, any any kind of competition that he went up against that was any good, he did not perform that well. So. I don't get how you can put Zach Wilson ahead of Justin Fields in that regard. You know, he just kind of came out of nowhere again. And we have these white quarterbacks who are seemingly unknown. And Matt Jones is another one who we'll talk about. But they just jump up ahead of these guys. And uh, some some black quarterbacks that have well established in college football as being able to deliver the goods. And I don't understand it. And it feels like racism flat out. 
The 49ers are third. Uh, they traded they traded up with uh, Miami. That was Houston's pick, uh, by the way. And uh, they traded it to Miami. Miami shipped it over to San Francisco. Uh, San Francisco was 6-10 and 10 last year with Jimmy Garoppolo missing a ton of time. For some reason, San Francisco seems to be out on Jimmy G, uh, even though I don't think that he's necessarily the problem there. I thought San Francisco should have won the Super Bowl two years ago. And um, I thought they were still better than Kansas City, even though Kansas City beat them. And Jimmy G was uh, a player two away from getting them there. And I don't know that he was to blame for them not winning that. And if he wins that game, he's probably still the quarterback, but now he appears to be on the outs because nobody trades up into the top three to take anybody but a quarterback these days. So, Mark, if you're running the Niners, if you're John Lynch, what do you do with that pick? Well, they're definitely not training up there to get anything other than a quarterback at this point. Um, I will agree with you from this standpoint. I'm, I'm not the biggest Jimmy G fan, and you know, we've talked about this before, but I think the biggest problem with Jimmy G has been his health, and I think the biggest availability that a that you can give to a, a football team if you're an athlete is availability. And I think the fact that he has not been available, the one time that he was healthy, they went to the Super Bowl. And the other time where he wasn't healthy or he wasn't on the team, they didn't they didn't win, and they, they didn't they didn't go very far. And that's the thing with with Shanahan. I mean, at this point now, he's been there four years. He's had one one uh, winning season, and the winning season that he had was with Jimmy G, uh, healthy Jimmy G, the entire year. So he's looking at it like this: he's he's going to need to to start winning soon, otherwise he's going to be out of a job. So that's why they made the deal to move up. Now everybody in their in their in their grandma talks about Mac Jones being the pick. I personally cannot fathom why anybody would trade as much draft capital that the Niners did to move up to three to take a guy like Mac Jones, which they probably could have reached had they been and they pretty much stayed where they were or stayed within the vicinity vicinity of ten to fifteen. That's that's just my personal opinion. So with them being at number three and the board falling the way it has, I'm I'm going to have the uh, 49ers pick Zach Wilson from uh, quarterback from BYU. Um, so you don't just to go – go say, ahead, I'm sorry. So you don't think the gap between Wilson and Fields is that great then? Is, am I understanding that correctly? No. Um, I, I think – well, actually, no. I think Justin Fields is – is a much is is a much bigger gap in my opinion than, than Zach Wilson, but I think with the board falling the way it is, if, if the Jets having Justin Fields, because quite honestly, Thursday night if they if the if the Niners pick anybody else but Justin Fields, I'm going to be upset because Justin Fields is a better prospect prospect than if you if, than any of these other guys not named Trevor Lawrence. And I, like I said, we we actually there's a strong case to say that Justin Fields is better than Trevor Lawrence. But if the board falls away, if everybody has been saying it, it has, it's going to fall for the last couple of months, and San Francisco is sitting on the board at three, and Justin Fields is staring them at the face, and they take, uh, they take anybody other than Justin Fields, I'm going to have a problem with that. Because well, you're going you're gonna to have a problem with that. Because, uh, <laughs> no, I know. Well, let's put it this way. Let, let me just say this. I have been as big of a fan from a distance of what the 49ers have done over the last several years. You know this. We've talked about the Niners repeatedly on this podcast over the years. Um, with the exception of getting Reuben Foster, who we both thought was going to be a terrific player and it didn't pan out. You know, I've been applauding every move that the 49ers have pretty much made in the last three or four years. And it's mm-hmm. of no coincidence to me that they've had great success when they've had a healthy team around them or out there. So right. Last year, they were not a 6-10 football team. They finished 6-10, but Right, they they're a playoff team, masquerading as a yep. six and ten team because they were so banged up last season. So what you have is uh, a team that's looking to get over the hump, and I don't know that Mac Jones gets you over that hump. It, it sounds like the all time greatest smokescreen ever. That I agree have, with you. They have Adam Schefter going on TV talking about no Mac Jones is their guy. Granted, he maybe he's more pro ready than some of these other guys, but I I like you. Refuse to believe that Mac Jones is the best or the third best or the second best prospect in this draft at any position. <laughs> or I mean, at I agree. Overall is what I mean to say. So, um, mm-hmm. 
So no, I don't. I don't think Mac Jones should be the pick. Maybe he will be. I will pick. Or maybe the 49ers are, are are on the same mental level that I think they are, and that this is just the greatest smokescreen we've seen in recent years. I think it is, and it just and I'm not also a big fan of Colin Cowherd, but he made he, he mentioned something this week when I was watching watching his show that stuck with me, and I wanted to just get that out there is that smart people associate themselves with smart people. If you go by just regular IQ intelligence, Matt Jones has probably the best intelligence of all of these quarterbacks, and that's including Trevor Lawrence, too. Um, his, he has a very high IQ. He's a 4.0 uh, GPA student. I know, I know we're going to get to him at some point, but I wanted to put this out there. He's a 4.0 grad student. Shanahan is, is one of those smart guys. He really values football intelligence. So I would see, I can see where the parallel comes in, where they would would like a Mac Jones, but the the the, the best uh, it's not just about intelligence with with them because uh, as far as Shanahan, because Shanahan has a little bit of a um, of a cockiness to him, where he believes his offense has all the answers, so that if you just follow the offense, you should be able to do, to succeed and succeed well. You don't have to have elite. Talent. I mean, well, well, lucky, lucky for them because Mac Jones does not have elite talent, so that'd be a perfect marriage if that's the case. I just, I, Mac Jones, to me, like I said, I, I don't, I don't understand how he would have rocketed up to third uh, outside of some of the other stuff that we've already talked about. Um, this is a guy he maybe, maybe he is smart, like you're saying, Mark, but he wasn't smart enough to beat out Jalen Hurts for the starting job at Alabama a few years ago. Jalen Hurts was a freshman and he had that job on lock. And then until he did, Correct. but then it was Tua Tagovailoa that came in and had the job on lock, and so it was Tua's yeah. job, and he he was the, basically the third string quarterback uh, at Alabama. Right, and so you know yes, that proves intelligence is not the only answer. You've got to have talent too. Yeah, and not only that, but he also wasn't smart enough to not get a DUI in college. So I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not I'm not in on Matt Jones at all. Let's go to four. Atlanta's picking fourth. Um, yeah. What are you doing if you're the Falcons? Uh, they fired Thomas Dimitrov, by the way, and they fired uh, Dan Quinn, I believe, is the coach last. I think. I, 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 they, they yeah. The coaches so quickly, yeah, it's hard to keep up. Yeah, Dan Quinn is out of uh, DC for uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Gotcha. So, so now uh, Arthur Smith, who was formerly the offensive coordinator with Tennessee, has taken over as the head coach in Atlanta, and everybody's wondering whether or not they're going to replace Matt Ryan this year. How would you approach it? Me personally, I would I would definitely have to look at, at from a long term standpoint. Um, everybody has been talking about you know what type what type of skill position player they can take it for, like Kyle Pitts from from Florida or or Jamar Chase or somebody like that. For me personally, their biggest their biggest need right now is is on the defensive side of the ball. But there's not a defensive player that's worth taking in the top four. So, but. I think they have a more important need right now because I don't I don't feel that Matt Ryan at at thirty eight years old is the answer for them long term and the only reason he's on the roster now is because they owe him a ton of money and he at least for the next two years. So for me it's a perfect opportunity to take a quarterback that A is not necessarily ready, where you can groom him in your system for a year to, to two years depending on how he progresses and still have the ability to get more dynamic at that position. Instead of having uh, Matt Ryan, who's basically a pocket passer, this is a perfect opportunity for them to take a dynamic player. And then for me, if I was Atlanta, I would take Trey Lance, the quarterback from North Dakota State. Really? So Trey Lance yes. is interesting. Yeah, Lance is interesting. Um, first of all, before we get into that, I want to talk about the Falcons a little bit. Um, I don't think they're going to take Trey Lance. I first of all, no. I, I think that if if Atlanta, I, I think with Matt, Ryan, I don't think Matt Ryan is the problem in Atlanta. Uh, he's not quite. No, as he's, 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 he's a small problem. He's not the biggest yeah. problem. The biggest problem is that defense. They can't stop yeah. anybody. Yeah, he's, that's and, their biggest problem. And he's not. He's not as uh, Matt Ryan is not as uh, old as you said he is. He's only thirty five, but he's uh, he's soon to be thirty six, I believe. But He's not the problem there. Like he, he was good enough to win an MVP there. He was good enough to get them on the brink of a Super Bowl. Granted, that was with Kyle Shanahan, but right. 
Matt Ryan is a good player with good weapons around him. I think the most Atlanta Falcons thing in the world, the most Falcony thing that they could do would be to take Kyle Pitts at four. Because Atlanta, is, they're like the Oakland Raiders of the South. Like they just want weapons and vertical passing and they don't care about nothing else that really wins football games. Like, I don't know, line play, for example. Like we saw like in the Super Bowl. Defense. defense <laughs> these things that might be a little bit important. They don't yep. they don't give a rat's ass about any of that stuff as far as I'm concerned. All they care about is yeah. points and fantasy football and you know putting up stats that make Matt Ryan look good so that we're going to be questioning whether or not he's going to be Canton-bound one day, uh, even though he was never that great. But right. I think that's where we're headed. I think that the most Falcon thing they could do would be to draft Kyle Pitts with that fourth pick. And it's hard to really blame him because Kyle Pitts may be the most talented player in the draft. So it's not like it'd be a terrible idea, but there are way more things, way more pressing issues, I feel like, that are facing this football team. I believe that why not take a Penny Sewell who was regarded as the best offensive lineman last year as a sophomore before he opted out of this past season? Why not take a guy like that? And if if you don't want to take a guy who can help your offensive line, because I don't think the Falcons would ever draft a guy on the offensive line in the first round, but if you're not going to do that, then trade back. I think they're the perfect trade back candidate. You know, I mean, granted, they have a lot of issues, but they have a lot of holes to fill. That means you need more picks. And yes, you want to get out from under Matt Ryan's contract, perhaps, but it, there'll be other quarterbacks in future classes that you can maybe do that with. I don't think right now is the time to do that. I would either trade back or take somebody on the line or something like that. But I mean, you know, I would not be shocked if they took Trey Lance. I, I don't think. But I, I seriously I thought about about that. What you just said. Confidence. Yeah, I, I I agree with you about that. I, I actually thought about them taking the office alignment, but you uh, but you remember they they have Jake Matthews that they drafted a few years ago. Um, they lost they lost Alex Mack, but at the same time, they, there's not a, a bunch of glaring needs for them from a office alignment standpoint, especially enough for them to take you know Penny Sewell at, at, at number four. And re- and I'm I'm trying to figure out. I mean, trading down would be a great possibility because they're right in that spot where they where somebody would need a quarterback would want to trade up to four to try to get it. I can see that happening. I think for me though, if I'm looking at long term success for them, I know whatever part of long term success that I have as a franchise, Matt Ryan's not going to be a part of that. So I almost like um, so you can rip off the bandaid. You might as well just rip it off. Correct. Exactly. I might as well just let it just let it go right now. And at this point, if he, it, I'm not drafting Trey Lance to play this year anyway. Yes. He only has 19 starts. So as as a, as a, a 19 starts in his career, so it'd be best for him to sit down and just learn the game and give him an opportunity to c- compete for the starting job next year. So that's why I would take him. And I should point out, and this is something, I'm glad you brought this up. You made two great, excellent points right there. One was a call out of Jake Matthews. Another one was the fact that Trey Lance, in this scenario, he would be sitting a year. And so, yes, I believe in Trey Lance's talent. I, I don't. I, I always question guys coming from the FCS level, and I think it's fair to do so, frankly. Some others may disagree with that, but whatever. Um, right. But if you can take Trey Lance and let him learn from Matt Ryan for a year, I don't know how well Matt Ryan's going to feel about that, but maybe he goes Aaron Rodgers and goes out and wins MVP. I don't know. But and he'll be on another game show or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. He'll be, he'll, be, he'll be hosting card shacks. Right. I feel this way about Zach Wilson also. I feel like Zach Wilson sitting a year and learning behind a Garoppolo or a Matt Ryan would be sublime. I think Zach Wilson yep. going to the Jets as the guy and the face of the franchise looking to turn it around. With nobody game. else there. Yeah. Nobody else there. I dare anybody listening, I dare you to Google the Jets depth chart at quarterback right now and you will be stunned. You will be stunned by what you see. So that's not an ideal situation for Zach Wilson for any quarterback for that matter. But nope. I feel like Trey Lance could thrive in that in that scenario. But I, I expect the Falcons to play Kyle Pitts. The Bengals were 4-11-1 last year. Joe Burrow proved to be the guy that 
I thought he was, that I think he thought he was, that a lot of people, but maybe not everybody, thought he was coming out of LSU. He had a tremendous rookie year until he got hurt. So we'll have to see how he recovers from that. The Bengals lost A.J. Green, who was pretty much the team for the last 10 years. Um, he came out in the same draft as Julio Jones. And it's hard to believe that they've been in the league that long, but A.J. Green is going on, I believe, to the Cardinals. And they, but they, they did gain Trey Hendrickson, who's a great pass rusher, and Larry Ogunjobi on the D-line, former Cleveland Brown. He's now in Cincinnati. So um, how are you looking to help out Joe Burrow? This is falling perfectly for them if they wanted to take Kyle Pitts. Yes, it would. But for me, um, this is the spot, in my opinion, where I would make my first trade. Um, and I know Cincinnati is not known for doing stuff like this, but if I'm running the Bengals, I would look to trade down. And the main reason why is because not necessarily it has anything to do with Kyle Pitts because I think Kyle Pitts will be a great addition. Or Jamar Chase, who would lock up with uh, Joe Burrow uh, back from his, from his college days. But you're in the position that you're in because your franchise quarterback got killed because his offensive line was Swiss cheese. And for for me personally, I gotta strengthen up that offensive line first, first and foremost. And I'll get to that point later. But the the partner I'm trading with is the Dallas Cowboys, and Dallas Dallas will trade from ten to five, and at ten Cincinnati will have the ability to go in and and still get an impactful offensive lineman. Whereas at five, if I'm Dallas now that I have this pick, Dallas is. There is nobody on defense that's going to help correct that mess that's down there in, in Dallas. Now, I watched a lot of Dallas Cowboy games being here in Texas, and I can tell you that offense, that defense, excuse me, that defense was absolutely atrocious. It's going to take more than just a, a, a top 10 pick to help that defense out. So for me, if I'm, if I'm trading up to five, I'm taking another unstoppable force on offense to the point where I'm going to just have to outscore people even more so than I did prior. And for me, I'm taking Kyle Pitts, the tight end from Florida at number five. Kyle Pitts, by all accounts, is a can't-miss guy. I, I don't know if I believe that uh, so much. He looks a little light in the britches on TV, but he runs so fluidly with the football and getting in and out of his breaks. And he just looks like a natural. He didn't even play tight end in high school. He played quarterback and like linebacker, I think. Um, and he is just, he's just, uh, seems like a very, a very just refined athletic specimen at tight end. But we all said the same thing about Kellen Winslow Jr. coming out of college. And he was definitely not a can't miss because the Browns missed on him for a variety of reasons. Um, so I don't think that there's, uh, <laughs> I don't know that we can just sit here and say that Kyle Pitts is can't miss, but he looks that way. I think the Dallas Cowboys have much bigger needs. But if there was a team other than the Falcons that would trade up to take a guy like Kyle Pitts, it would be the Dallas Cowboys and Jerry Jones. Like it, that, that's a perfect Dallas Cowboy type maneuver. Trade up for a guy that you don't need at a position that's not the greatest impact on the field. You know, can Kyle Pitts block? I don't know. I, I don't know if he's that great of a blocker. He, he's, he's certainly a great pass catcher. But, um, but, yeah, I can see that happening. Dallas trading up to take Kyle Pitts. Uh, Teams typically are only trying to trade up to get a quarterback, as we mentioned earlier. Well, the first four quarterbacks are already off the board in this scenario, in this mark draft. So they're trading up five spots. So you know they got to give up at least one first rounder to take a tight end. It's kind of wild to me. But again, you know, this, this, we're making a lot of assumptions on this draft. So maybe that'll happen and, and maybe that'll be the case. And we'll come back to Cincinnati at 10. Even though I may be the, the, the GM of the Cowboys, uh, I still have Jerry Jones as the owner. So, <laughs> <laughs> it probably wouldn't matter. It probably wouldn't matter what I what I wanted. It would probably be what he wants at that point, and he would definitely want to outscore people. Uh, six is the Dolphins, who traded back up into the top ten with the Eagles. Uh, Miami was six and ten, uh, and they have two first round picks. Miami does. And we know they're not taking Mac Jones because uh, they're not trying to lock up all the the Alabama quarterback room, I wouldn't think. What do you have Miami doing at six then? Because they, they traded back into the top ten, but they seem to have made a commitment to Tua. So, right. so what, what's their move? 
if I'm if I'm Miami, I I would need I would want to put as many weapons as I possibly can around Tua to see if if in fact Tua is my long term answer at quarterback. You you already made the commitment to Tua and you put yourself in a position. Now to me, what will help a a young quarterback I'm trying to develop is to give him the best weapon uh, possible in the draft. And if I can't get Kyle Pitts, which in my opinion is probably the best weapon, I'm getting the second best weapon, but I'm getting the number one wide receiver. And that's Jamar Chase, the wide receiver from LSU. So I would, I would add on to that, that uh, if a team is faced with the decision of, do I take Kyle Pitts or do I take Jamar Chase or do I take Devontae Smith? Or do I take Jalen Waddle, or do I take some other receiver? Take Kyle Pitts because take Kyle Pitts exactly. There's only one of there's only one of him. There's only one tight end on the board. Correct. There's only one guy that's six six two fifty two forty whatever he is. Right. And receivers are a dime a dozen, man. They're great players. They're great athletes, but receivers, man. And this draft is deep in them. Yeah, exactly. This draft is deep in them, and every draft is. They're like point guards in the NBA. You can find one True. in any draft. So. Don't don't break your neck trying to get a point guard if you're in the NBA draft because there's another one coming. What's not coming is that two-way uh, explosive athlete that's 6'8 and can shoot threes and, and, and switch on everything on defensively. Like, that's the guy that you spring for. That's the that's who you break the bank for. You don't break the bank for the receiver. So go take Kyle Pitts in that scenario. Uh, Jamar Chase, excellent football player. I've got, I've got nothing but good things to say about him. Him, Justin Jefferson, the, the class of receivers that we've had at LSU – and at Alabama, the last couple of years has, has been outrageous. And so, if you can get any Ridiculous. one of those guys from those two schools, you're doing fine. Uh, seven is the Detroit Lions. This would be a football team that is not doing fine. They stink at <laughs> everything. They stink at everything. They hired, they hired a coach who immediately made a fool of himself in his press conference. And I encourage you guys yep. to go back and look at Dan Campbell's presser if you can. Please look at it. They hired Anthony Lynn as their offensive coordinator. They traded away Matt Stafford. I did like the trade that they did. They did trade yes. away Stafford, and they got back Jared Goff, who, you know, I liked coming out of school, but, you know, I don't think he's that far removed from Matt Stafford because I'm not convinced that Matt Stafford's anything all that special. But, Correct. But maybe he, maybe Matt Stafford just got Detroit all over him, and he couldn't he couldn't shake it. I don't know. But, you got too much Detroit in him. I think that's – I agree with you. I think that's exactly what the problem but, but, was. But even, even with that said, I don't think Matt Stafford is – Great, and so no. I don't think that he's that much better than Jared Goff, who's taking the team to a Super Bowl. And so they got Jared Goff and two first rounders out of that out of that deal. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Uh, and they got a third round pick as well in that deal traded with Stafford. So for Stafford, so of Stafford. So other than that, though, the Lions have nothing to cheer about. If you look at who they like signed as free agents, they signed nobody that anybody's ever heard of. Kenny Galladay, they lost Stafford, yep. as I mentioned. What's my guy that played for the Browns, defensive lineman? Uh, Kenny Shelton, I think it was. They, um, lost, they, yep. lost him. they lost guys all over the place that people have actually heard of. They signed a bunch of nobodies. And so, you know, I don't – how do you fix this, Mark? Fix this mess, please. Well, it's, a, it's definitely a mess. I think for – it's almost like a chicken and egg comparison at this point. You got yourself a, a quarterback that's that you that's basically signed, sealed, and delivered. So he's under your under your protection now because you get because he's on a long term deal. So for me as a franchise, what do you do? What's what's the chicken and egg concept? Either going to protect this quarterback or you're going to give him a bunch of weapons? Because I think in this point with Jared Goff, he's going to need both. So. I think you get you can address all of that in the draft, but you you just mentioned just a, a minute ago that wide receiver is deep. So what? So for me, you have an opportunity to try to uh, protect this guy, and I think that becomes a higher priority. And what better way to do it than to get the best offensive lineman in this draft? That will, for me, Panay Sewell will be the perfect addition to the Lions to at least start this ball rolling and trying to protect and improve Jared Goff and give him the best opportunity to succeed. Uh, I think that would be helpful. Um, again, receivers are a dime a dozen, so they lost Kenny Galladay, but they could find one, another one in the top ten, or they can trade back and still get Devontae Smith or something like that, who seems to be slipping on draft boards. So I, I you know, I'm, I'm on board with that plan. I think Detroit could trade back also. I think they'd be a good trade back candidate. Panthers were 5-11 last year, basically with Christian McCaffrey 
missing the entire season. Um, now, your boy, Jay Hicks, drafted Christian McCaffrey number one in his fantasy league, won the fantasy championship in spite of Christian McCaffrey being on the bench all year. So this is why I should have a front office job, Mark, because I can do stuff like that. But they go 5-11 and 11 without CMC. Uh, and perhaps the biggest thing working against them is that Tom Brady's in their division, and the Bucks look unbeatable yep. right now. But uh, they brought back everybody Tampa did, which has never been done before on a championship team. But they did trade for Sam Darnold. But Sam Darnold, it's kind of it's funny that they made that move, Carolina did, because now it seems like he's there, you know. They, they tried to get Deshaun Watson, and we know that. They tried like hell to get Watson. It didn't work. And so right. now they got to turn back and look at Teddy Bridgewater and Sam Darnold and say, well, hey, guys, we still love you. You know, that's kind of weird. <laughs> what, would you, right. what would you do with that pick? I would trade out of that pick. Um, and for me, there's there's a, a team that, in my opinion, has a, has a weakness, a glaring weakness at quarterback. And there's one quarterback left on the board, um, at least from a first-round grade, that is available. So uh, the partner that I picked is the New England Patriots. And Belichick uh, has never done this before. He's always been you know, the trade-down guy. He's always been... You know, not spending a lot of money in free agency, but he's but you already saw that he's he's changing trends because Tom Brady won a Super Bowl without him. So now the pressure is on for him to make amends and try to get back to the playoffs. And I think his roster is pretty much uh, is with the with the exception of wide receiver. I think his his roster is good enough to make the playoffs. But his biggest problem right now is that quarterback. I don't think, and Cam Newton is not a long-term answer. I think he was just the best that they had at the time. So for me, if I'm if I'm New England, I'm trading up. I'm picking up Matt Jones, and the main reason why I'm doing that is because, once again, like I talked to you before, smart people like to align themselves with smart people. You have a you got the a smart level Saban coach. connection, right? Yes, and I'm quite sure Saban has told him a lot of stuff about Matt Jones. And I think he would be a perfect fit for somebody like New England because he fits the type of uh, offense that Belichick runs and and Josh McDaniels runs. So you notice that there's a, there was a different situation with Cam Newton running uh, Josh McDaniels' offense as opposed to Tom Brady. And I, I don't think that his actual uh, offense is built for a guy like Cam and especially a guy who's been beat up as much as Cam. So I think Mac Jones is the type of pocket presence type of guy. He doesn't have a, a, a whole bunch of outstanding ability, but I think he get, you get the most out of his talent in that offense. And I think that's where, and his intelligence, I think is what's the key thing that's going to drive New England to him. So that's why I make that trade for Mac Jones. And then Carolina gets a whole bunch of different picks and things like that to help build their roster down the road. So I think that's where... I would go if I was there. I think it's plausible, but if you're going to trade up to take um, a quarterback, I, I don't I don't know why you would spend draft capital on trading up to get Mac Jones. I, everything that you said made sense logically, so I'm not like denying that. But I'm just saying, like, just from an outsider's perspective, I don't see Mac Jones being that guy. I would be stunned. I don't either. Belichick but I think that's, that guy. Yeah, you got to look at it like this too. Uh, yes, he had. He had a whole bunch of talent, and he had guys that was that was always wide open, and which which played a lot into uh, Mac Jones' accuracy situation. But I think he has the ability where where he can, uh, if if he his intelligence can help help him go, if he's able to diagnose plays quickly. One of the things that Mac Jones does very well, he diagnoses the play at the line of scrimmage, and that's one of the one of the things that playing in Steve Sarkeesian's offense that he was able to diagnose things at the line of scrimmage, and that helped him out a lot. And I think that type of uh, mentality will help him in the NFL, um, even with just, you know, a slightly above average, you know, regular physical traits. I think that will help him long-term in the, in, uh, going forward in his career. Yeah. I talked to two fans of the Denver Broncos, buddies of mine that I know. Uh, both of them said that they would love to get their hands on Justin Fields for whatever that's worth. Uh, it looks like the Drew Locke experiment is not going to work, although I do like some of the receiving weapons that they have in Denver, but Denver has a nice pick, and it seems as if how they 
they brought back Justin Simmons and Von Miller, but Vic Fangio seems like he's kind of just the guy in you know coaching. I don't know. What what would you do if you were John Elway instead of Mark Hicks? Well, if for me, if um, if the, if the draft if the draft board goes the way that I had it planned, there's no quarterback that's worth anything at this point because their biggest problem right now is that quarterback. Um, they have Drew Locke, they have Brett Rippian, they have Jeff Driscoll as their three quarterbacks on the roster. That's just absolutely horrendous, and that's part of the reason why. You know, John Elway stepped down as being the, the general manager of the, of the football team. Um, so for me, if I can't get a quarterback in this round, which I have a feeling that if they don't go up and get a guy like Justin Fields or something like that on Thursday, I can see them going after a Kellen Mond from uh, Texas A&M in the second round. But uh, regardless of that, with them at at, uh, at the ninth pick, I'm going to have them take the of, of their best defensive player that's out there in the draft. And the best defensive uh, player out there is Micah Parsons, a linebacker from Penn State. That's what I would go with if I was there. So uh, one of my two buddies also mentioned Micah Parsons. And if you look at the tape, you can see why. Because although he didn't play this past year, Micah Parsons looks like he's the real deal. And, um, and I think that you could do a lot worse there. And Vic Fangio, I believe, is a defensive guy. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so it yep. might make sense for them to, to go that route. And then lastly in the top ten is the Cincinnati Bengals trading down from five in this uh, mark draft. Uh, what do you have them doing now at ten? For them, since I, I was telling you before, uh, they were in a, in a good sweet spot where they can still get themselves a, a quality offensive lineman because it's all about protecting Joe Burrow at this point. Um, you can get you can get additional weapons uh, throughout the draft for them. Um, so for me, if I'm Cincinnati, I'm taking Christian Darrenshaw, the offensive tackle from the Virginia Tech. That would be my pick for them. Uh, yeah, and, and again, getting a tackle there. Now they, they did draft a tackle a couple of years ago from Alabama who who missed his first year and then played last year. So they're slowly building up that offensive line with guys uh, with high lottery. Well, not lottery. This is not the NBA, but High first round picks, guys that can <laughs> fill in there and and uh, and help keep Joe Burrow upright because uh, they did not succeed at that this past year and it cost them dearly, unfortunately. Um, so yes. now with the top ten out of the way, of course, we always take a moment to quickly look at the Cleveland Browns. We normally have plenty of time to do that inside the top ten. Now they're picking twenty six, Mark. There's a guy that I haven't seen the tape on every guy. At, at around our, that range where the Browns are picking, but there is one guy that I saw that I liked a lot that's been linked to the Browns, but I don't think he's going to be on the board when the Browns pick. If you're Andrew Barrier, you're in his ear. What are you doing with that pick for the Browns at 26 here, Frank? Well, if you because you're picking 26, and this is rare air for uh, for Cleveland Browns fans, um, that means you you have very few needs per se on your on your roster. You, know, you already have the second best roster, and according to Pro Football Focus, so for you uh, or for them, I'm looking at just improving in some of the areas that I'm looking at. There's a there's a number of different angles that I could go by. You know, they're they're probably a little uh, weakened at defensive tackle now that they let you know the Richardson go and Larry Younger Joby left. Um, but you still have you know, Andrew Billings, who didn't play last year. You still have uh, Jordan Elliott, who you drafted last year. So you have some some uh, stability there, at least, and you and also Malik Jackson. So they have a good three man rotation. I still think that they will draft another uh, defensive too, tackle. Did you mention Tack McKinley? Yeah, Tack McKinley, and they also can move Javon Clowney inside on on certain things. So one of the things that real quick about the Browns is that they run a four two five scheme. Most of the time, which means for them, they have the ability to be flexible and they can adjust to uh, uh, whatever the uh, offense is throwing at them, depending on on uh, on their options, because it's very versatile defense that they run. But the one thing that the most glaring weakness that I saw, or the thing that stood out to me the most about last last season, was the third and eighteen play that Kansas City had, and Chad Henney ran, ran for seventeen yards. To me, that is unacceptable on any level, which means to me, their your defense is in drastic need of speed, especially at the first and second level. So for me, if I'm the Browns, and they have a glaring weakness at, at corner, because if 
Denzel Ward or Greedy Williams is hurt, who do they have to replace him? You know, you, he was he was a slot it's a slot uh, nickelback. He's not necessarily an outside guy, so they could go that route. But for me, to increase the speed at the in the front seven, I'm going off the off the rails a little bit, and I'm I'm looking at Jamin Davis, the linebacker from Kentucky, because I think he can, and not only can he play the middle in a lot of uh, four three schemes that you run. But on in in that particular formation, he can be the uh, the actual rover and run around and make plays from sideline to sideline. So I like him a lot. So uh, I agree that the biggest weakness of the Browns' entire football team, and they maybe just be more so drafting drafting for depth at this point. But the biggest weakness is that linebacker. I would agree with that. The guy who's been also I was also say- real quick. Also, just real quick. Well, one other thing: there's a possibility that the Browns could look on. Uh, uh, as going wide receiver because they have $30 million tied up with two receivers in Jarvis Landry and OBJ, and they're going to have to find a way to replace them at some point. Uh, I personally think it will be OBJ after this year, but it's something that they have to look look to, so that look for them also to draft a wide receiver. Yeah, and I was just going to say that uh, the linebacker is still the biggest weakness, and Zayvon Collins looks like he's off the chain. I don't think he's going to be there when the Browns pick. But um, but if the Browns can get their hands on Zayvon Collins from Tulsa, I will be a happy yeah. man on Thursday night because that guy, I agree. he runs all over the field. He's got nice hands. Um, he's fast. Like you said, he, he has the speed that they need to cover sideline to sideline. He could be that that rover, middle linebacker type guy um, that, that can even play on the outside as needed. But he, he's really good in space at making plays, and he seems to have good instincts. Um, and so – that would be the guy that I would want them to get. But if they if they get a linebacker there, I, I think we can all agree that that'd be the right decision. So recapping the 2021 NFL Mark Draft Mini Draft. The Jags will take Trevor Lawrence, one. The Jets take Justin Fields, two. The 49ers take Zach Wilson, third. The Falcons take Trey Lance, four. The Bengals trade out of five to the Cowboys, who take Kyle Pitts. The Dolphins take Jamar Chase, six. The Lions take Penny Sewell, seven. Panthers would trade out of eight to the Patriots. The Patriots would move up to take Mac Jones at number eight. The Denver Broncos, who are stuck without a quarterback, <laughs> did the kid with no toys at Christmas. They get Michael Parsons at number nine. And the Bengals would take Christian Dershaw, offensive tackle at number 10. And the Browns uh, would take Javon Davis from Kentucky on Thursday. Maybe it's Javon Collins. I don't know. But it should be fun, y'all. We'll check it out. And uh, we'll be back with the, of course, the Mark draft for the NBA in a few months. Mark, thank you as always for joining us. Hip Hop Sports Support Podcast. We're signing off, y'all. Peace. <laughs>